Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to the Final Authority Podcast. I'm your host, Woody. Thanks for listening in. Uh, it's been a little bit since the last episode. I took a break over the Christmas holidays and New Year and things got busy, but we're back. And uh, going to start back again, trying to do a Monday, Wednesday, Friday uh, podcast release. So today to kick things back off again in the new year, we're going to talk about does God do bad stuff? And this question arises from uh, misconceptions for hundreds, uh, perhaps thousands of years about the nature of God. Actually, I believe it probably goes all the way back to pre-Christ when the Jewish leaders thought that God was a wrathful, judgmental God, um, which there is a thing called the judgment of God, but um, that's not his nature. That's not who he is. That's not what he wants to do. And, and really, you can, you can look in our world today, and even in the church as a, as a whole, the majority of the church, I would say, probably believes that, that evil things come from God, and that's, that's just not so. Uh, you can look at, at insurance when calamities and disasters come, uh, tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, forest fires, insurance will declare it an act of God when they go and assess the damage, and that's not scriptural. Uh, People have have talked about sickness and disease, uh, and said that it's it's God trying to teach you something, brother. Uh, and well, if that's the case, then why don't you learn it already and get your healing and move on? Uh, no, God doesn't do bad things. And of course, I can't make any statement on this podcast or in my life without Scripture to stand on. So if you look at James one seventeen. James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, the Father of lights, uh, with whom there is no shadow of turning, no no hint of of division in him. Every excuse me, every good and perfect gift. So where did the misconception come from? People, I think a large part of it is many people don't even know or recognize or acknowledge that there is a devil. In John ten ten. Jesus said the thief or the devil comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. In Job chapter 1, Job is one of the most misunderstood and misinterpreted books in the Bible. But in Job chapter 1, you see that that all the angels came before God. And it says, the King James Version says the sons of God came before God, talking about the angels, and says Satan came with them. And and he stood before God. We're getting a, a... behind the scenes look at the courtroom the throne room the courtroom of god and and the new testament tells us that satan is the accuser of the brethren and what does he do there in in the first chapter of job he goes and accuses job before god's face he says this guy job you've built a hedge around him and i can't even get to him and if if the book of job teaches us anything and i could do a uh, i could expound on the book of job for the next week and a half but Uh, Just from a general overview, if the book of Job teaches us anything, it is that Satan is the author of all disaster and all evil. Because he comes before God, and I'm going to give a brief synopsis, I'm not going to read through it. He comes before God and he says, look, there's a hedge about Job, I can't get to him, and, and but if you didn't have that hedge around him, I could get him, and then he would curse you to your face. And God said, no, he wouldn't. And God said, look, he's already in your territory. If you look at, at the, the Greek or, sorry, the Hebrew original words, and look at the, the definitions of the original Hebrew words, when God says, uh, look at him, 
it, it's more of a statement of something that is. It's not God saying, well, have at him. It's God saying, he's in your territory. It's an observation. It's not a declaration. But, but anyway, so Satan comes. We see the next, uh, what, 37 chapters in Job where Satan absolutely destroys his life, his family, his livestock, his, his property, his crops, uh, his, his body. And yet Job never curses God. And so we see through that book, Satan is the author of all that. And in the end of it, the mercy of God restored everything that Job had and then doubled it. As a matter of fact, the only time Job is mentioned in the New Testament, here's what it says, James 5.11. He says, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance and you have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The only thing said in the New Testament about the story of Job is that he persevered. There's perseverance we can learn from him. And the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. That's what God did there. God didn't do the destruction. Satan did the destruction. Remember John 10, 10. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Now, some have said that the Old Testament declares that God sent sickness upon people. Uh, those who say this usually quote Exodus 15, 26, which says, um, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord your God and do all that is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon you, which I have brought upon the Egyptians. For I am the Lord that healeth thee. Again, that's Exodus 15, 26. Similar scriptures are Isaiah 45, 7. says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. And Micah 1, 12 for the inhabitant of Maroth waited carefully for good, but evil came down from the Lord under the gate of Jerusalem. Now, if you've done any Bible study at all, and if you do any large-scale, large-scope Bible study, you see this is not the nature of God. So what's going on with these verses? And this is where people get the misconception that the Bible contradicts itself. But you've got to remember that the Bible we have was translated from the original text, which was Hebrew in the Old Testament and Greek in the New Testament, and was translated into English, into Spanish, into Latin, or, or whatever languages there were. So we've got Hebrew and Greek, and in the translation, if you speak multiple languages, you know that oftentimes there aren't words that directly line up with the original intentions in, in the mother language. Um, so in this, I'm not a scholar, okay? I'm not a, a Bible scholar. I don't speak multiple languages, but I can study from those who do. Um, and, and so, so let's let's look at let's look at something else. Um, there are texts in the Bible which are improperly translated, either on purpose or by accident. Now, I think those three were, were on accident, but there are some that were mistranslated, I believe, on purpose. One example of, of intentional mistranslation is in Psalm 8 and verses 4 through 5. And uh, that's, where, that's where the psalmist said, Who, What is man that you are mindful of him, uh, that you visit him? You have made him little lower than and the King James, and some other translations say the angels. You have made him little lower than the angels. Now, if you look at the Hebrew word used there, it is the word Elohim, which is used in Genesis 1 when it said God created the heaven and the earth. God, Elohim. It, it talks about the threefold nature of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Elohim. God, plural, singular, plural. Okay, so, so 
You have made him little lower than Elohim. You have made man little lower than God. So why would they mistranslate that? Well, in the day when they were translating the King James Bible, there was a lot of religious tradition, there was a lot of religion, and uh, it was the, the type of day where if, if uh, you did something the king didn't like, you could be beheaded. Or a mob could rise up uh, if, if you know, the common thought process of the day was violated and you could be stoned or, or again, beheaded. You could be killed. And so these guys here, they're translating this, and I believe, and some scholars agree, again, I'm not a scholar, but I agree with the scholars that, that say this, that when they were translating this, they saw God made man little lower than God, gave him that position, and they said, oh man, if we put that in this translation, we'll be stoned, we'll be killed, we'll be exiled or, or excommunicated or, or beheaded. And so they said, well, let's just say angels there. And so that's that's the way that our translations came out. Uh, what is man that you are mindful of him, that you visit him? You've made him little lower than the angels. When really it should say you've made him little lower than God. And that's got to do with all the way back in the book of Genesis, God gave man dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And then uh, Adam bowed his knee to Satan and lost it. But Jesus restored it to us and we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, it says in Ephesians. So, so that's one example of an intentionally mistranslated text but we're talking here about about uh i will put none of these diseases upon you i make peace and i create evil uh these sicknesses i will not put on you so what what is what is this what um dr robert young who is the author of Young's Analytical Concordance to the Bible, and was an outstanding Hebrew scholar, spoke multiple languages, uh, wrote a Bible dictionary, talking about the definitions of Hebrew and Greek words. Uh, the guy was, God was a phenomenal, very intellectual, and very spiritual man. Uh, and he's created a lot of resources that we use today in our Bible study. But his concordance to the Bible, his analytical concordance to the Bible, um, and his book hints and helps to Bible interpretation, which is no longer in print. You've got to do. You can find it online, though. Uh, and if you do uh, a little bit of digging, uh, that's hints and helps to Bible interpretation. And Robert Young's analytical analytical concordance to the Bible. He says in his uh, hints and helps to Bible interpretation that in Exodus fifteen twenty six, the literal Hebrew reads. I will permit to be put upon thee none of these diseases which I permitted to be brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals you. Now that, that makes sense. That coincides with what we know of the nature of God from Bible study, from other scriptures. <clears throat> and we we, we got to bear in mind, talking about other scriptures, Acts 10.38, which says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Now first, he's healing people who were oppressed of the devil. So he's indicating what the source of that oppression was, who the source of that oppression was, and also he's healing all. He's doing good. This important scripture shows us that Jesus is the healer and Satan is the oppressor. And again, John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, The thief, or Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Remember that when God commanded Moses to go down into Egypt and lead the children of Israel out of bondage, he sent Moses to plead with Pharaoh to release the people. 
God did not want the plagues to come upon the Egyptian people, but when Pharaoh hardened his heart, God withdrew his protecting hand and permitted the plagues to sweep over Egypt. Remember that, that Satan walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And unless there is a hedge of protection around us, unless we are walking under the shadow of his wings, as it says in Psalm 91, unless we are bought by the blood, unless God protects us and sustains our life, as the book of Psalms says, then he can get at us and he will attack us. And when we step out from under that protective covering of the blood, that protective shadow of his wings, Satan can get at us. And if God, for, for reason, judgment's sake, withdraws his hand of protection, Satan is right there just waiting to take a shot. And that's what, that's what happened here in, to the Egyptians. God withdrew his hand and permitted the plagues to come. God's not the cause of sickness and disease. John, 1 John 3 8 says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And we saw in, in, in uh, Acts 2 38 that uh, Acts 10 38, Jesus went about healing all who were oppressed of the devil. God's not the cause of sickness and disease. And also, you know, Jesus said that if uh, when, when they. Well, I'll, I'll get to that here in a minute. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. They even accused Jesus of cooperating with the devil when he casted out devils. He cast a demon out of, out of uh, I believe it was a woman, and they, they came at him and they said, oh, Well, he casts out devils by Beelzebub, by the prince of devils. They accused Jesus of this. And in Mark 3.25, you can read the account in Mark chapter 3, he said, if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If I cast out demons by the prince of demons, that house is divided against itself and it cannot stand. That doesn't make any sense. The logic is not there. I, God cannot be the source of sickness and disease, of destruction, of calamity, and the cure. He is one or the other. And scripture tells us very clearly, He is the healer. I am the Lord that heals you. So again, doing, doing some, uh, you got to dig a little bit, but doing some Bible study, you can find that those texts and those translations weren't entirely correct. God doesn't do bad things. And if you pair it with your Bible study all throughout Scripture, especially in the New Testament, you'll find the nature of God is a healer. He is a creator. He's a restorer. He is full of love and kindness and gentleness and mercy. And he wants to bless. He is blessing-minded. He is reward-minded. God comes only for good, and the devil comes only to destroy. For some more scripture references, let's look at Psalm 91. And I'm reading from the NLT translation uh, tonight. So it says, verse 1, Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God, and I trust Him. For He will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. Well, He couldn't protect you from disease if He was the source of it. He will cover you with his feathers, and he will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Do not be afraid of the terrors of the night, nor of the arrow that flies in the day. Do not dread the disease that stalks in the darkness, nor the disaster that strikes at midday. 
Though a thousand fall at your side, though ten thousand are dying around you, these evils will not touch you. Just open your eyes and see how the wicked are punished. If you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, no evil will conquer you. No plague will come near your home, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. You will trample upon lions and cobras. You will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. The Lord says, I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust in my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue and honor them. I will reward them with a long life and give them my salvation. This is the heart of God. His heart is protection and love and care and deliverance for his people. But, but it is conditional. You see, in verse 1, those who live in the shelter of the Most High. In other words, those who choose to abide under his protection. In verse 9, it says, if you make the Lord your refuge, if you make the Most High your shelter, then all these blessings are yours. You'll be protected. You'll be under his wings. He'll deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Pestilence and plagues can't harm you. And we see this carried out again and again and again in Scripture. The Israelites in the land of Goshen, while the Egyptians, during the plagues that, that, that ravaged Egypt, none of them affected the Israelites over in the land of Goshen, but they destroyed Egypt. Because God's hand was there. God's presence was there. They were under the protective presence of God. That's his desire for us. Let's look at something else. Because I want to give you more than just one scripture uh, to stand on. Let's go to Deuteronomy 28. This is the blessing scripture. This is, this is the blessing of Abraham. And the blessing of Abraham is the same covenant blessing that was given to Adam. And then it was given to Father Abraham. Who passed it to Isaac. And Jacob, down to Joseph, down to David, down to Jesus, through whom we inherited it, according to Galatians 3.16. Or sorry, 3.13. says, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Christ was made a curse for us, because it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through faith. That's us. So this blessing, the blessing of Abraham in Deuteronomy 28, belongs to us. Anything God promised to the people of Israel belongs to us. So Deuteronomy 28 says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all his commands that I'm giving you this day, the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. So there, two, the first two verses are conditional statements. If you obey, if you keep his commands, if you uh, da, 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 obey the Lord your God, then all these blessings will follow you. And it's, it's not got to do with earning God's blessings. It's got to do with associating with the source of the blessings. You could think of it like a faucet. The faucet is always on. And if you're the bucket, the faucet can always be on and you're never receiving any water. But if you move the water under the faucet, you stay blessed. You stay full. The water continues to flow into your life. The blessing, we'll say, continues to flow into your life. If you obey the commands of the Lord. The commands of God, the New Testament says, are not grievous. But they are beneficial to us. He commands us things not so that we can't have fun. He commands us things to protect us. 
Does God do bad things? No. God only blesses. Look, let, let's read down through Deuteronomy 28 and see what he says about us. Your towns and fields will be blessed. Your children and crops will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be blessed. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you will be blessed. The Lord will conquer your enemies when they attack you. They'll attack you from one direction and scatter from you in seven. The Lord will guarantee blessing on everything you do and fill your storehouses with grain. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he's giving you. If you obey the commands, there's that conditional statement again, of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, the Lord will establish you as his holy people, as he swore he would do. Then all the nations of the world will see that you are a people claimed by the Lord and they will stand in awe of you. He'll give you prosperity in the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, blessing you with many children, numerous livestock, abundant crops. The Lord will send rain at the proper time from his rich treasury in the heavens and will bless all the work of your hands. You'll lend to many nations and you will never need to borrow from them. If you listen to the commands of the Lord your God that I'm giving you today, and if you carefully obey them, the Lord will make you the head and not the tail, and you'll always be on the top and never at the bottom. You must not turn away from any of the commands I'm giving you today, nor follow after other gods or worship them. Four times he gave that warning. If you obey, if you don't turn from these commands, if you hearken to the voice of my word, if you do what I tell you to do, then all these blessings belong to you. Why did he say that? Because as soon as you step out from under the protective hand of God, you get over into enemy territory. And the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And you see this all the way through the Old Testament. And some of you are thinking, well, why do you keep using the Old Testament? Because the Old Testament is our example. It's types and shadows. It's how we illustrate the truths of God. Uh, everything and all Scripture is given for doctrine, for reproof, uh, for instruction, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, Timothy says. All Scripture is profitable. The Old Testament is just as profitable if we read it in light of the New Testament. And so to keep it in that light, we've, we've got to make sure we, we interpret it properly. But the nature of God never changed from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation. His plan for us has always been good. His plan for us has always been victory. And again, he said, if you obey, all these things, will, all these blessings will be upon you. But if you don't, the last half of the chapter is what we call the curse of the law. And that curse can only, the curse causeless shall not come. The curse can only get to you, Satan can only get to you when you step out from under the protective hand of God. And we see that all the way through the Old Testament with the tribes of Israel. They would, they would have a king that followed God, that served God with all his heart, that led the people in a righteous manner, and then the next generation would turn away from God and calamity would fall on them. And then they'd cry out to God and turn back to Him and come back under His protective wings and they'd become a nation again and they'd rise up and then the next generation would fall away and calamity would come. And then again they went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. What were they doing? They were stepping out from under the protective hand of God, separating themselves from association with the source of their blessing, getting over into enemy territory. And the same is true for us. If we want to stay away from bad things, we got to associate with the source of blessing, not the source of destruction. So let's, let's wrap this up. Does God do bad things? No. But when a man steps out from under God's protective hand, this gives the devil an open door. You get over into enemy territory. All these passages I just read are conditional, as are many of the promises in the Bible. God gives us a free will. We're not robots. So it's important that we shun evil in every form, lest we give the devil a stronghold in our lives.
We need to be fully aware of what we say and do that would give the devil glory instead of God glory. The devil is only happy to accommodate you. He's, he's too happy. I've read that wrong. <laughs> I'm reading my notes here. The devil is only too happy to accommodate you. He will take any chance you give him. And if you give him an inch, he'll try to take 5,000 miles. Right? If, if you... Uh, Paul told Timothy not to give the devil a foothold. Don't even give him a foothold. Keep on the full armor of God. Guard your hearts and minds from the evil one. Stay full of faith. Let your eyes look right ahead. Let your, the, the paths of your feet be steady and straight. And stay close to God because the enemy cannot touch you when you stay close to God. So does God do bad things? No. Hurricanes, tornadoes, uh, earthquakes, volcanoes, tsunamis, snowstorms and blizzards and, and forest fires. All these destructive things are results of sin which began with Satan in the Garden of Eden. It didn't begin, it didn't begin with God. The Bible actually talks about the earth has, has birth pains. As the end draws near, she's groaning for the righteousness of the sons of men to manifest. She's groaning for us to start walking in the blessing of the Lord, to walk in association with the source of our blessing and our life, so that A, the enemy can't touch us, and B, we are a blessing and a source of that blessing, a conduit for the blessing of God into the lives of others all around us, everywhere we go, every day. So I hope that answered the question, does God do bad things? The correct answer is no. God doesn't do bad things. Uh, the devil does. It's so simple that a three-year-old can understand it. God's good. The devil's bad. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you again on Wednesday. Be blessed.